Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm delighted to introduce my today's guest. Today's guest is a friend of mine and she's been on the show before and she has just published her first book which has been uh, in the pipeline for a long time and I cannot wait to read it. I'm still waiting to get my copy. <laughs> Um, uh, Jessica Kantrowitz, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to read your book. Um, yeah, it feels like it's been coming for a long time, like the build-up's been, like, yeah, really incredible. And now it's here. It feels that way for me too, <laughs> I've been waiting. Yeah, yeah, and, uh... Yes, yeah, it's called The Long Night, and um, tell us about the book. Sure, yeah, so the full title is The Long Night, Readings and Stories to Help You Through Depression, and it's it's about a time of depression that I went through myself several years ago, Um, so I think I've been, I think I've struggled with depression my whole life. But I'd always sort of managed to figure out something external to do about it when a bad episode would start. So I would, you know, in college, I dropped out of college for a couple months. I broke up with a boyfriend. I moved. And then throughout the rest of my life, when I would feel the depression coming on, I would find something like that to change. Like, well, it worked to break up with a boyfriend before. Is there someone or something I could break up with now or... You know, is there, can I Hmm. move to a different city or, you know, get a different job? And that sort of worked for a while. Um, But at this point in my life, several years ago, when this really bad depressive episode started, um, there wasn't, I couldn't figure out anything external to change. And so I I sort of was forced to look inside of myself and really work through for the first time a lot of the deeper issues that were um, compounding the depression in my life. So the book's a story, um, stories from that time um, Mm. and things that I learned about myself and about life and people in general um, and ways that helped me through. And then it's also, um, it's called readings and stories. So the readings part is um, I quote a lot of writers and theologians who were um, what I call companions to me mm. during that time, companions along the way. Uh, so one of them is Henri Nouwen. Oh, uh, I love him. He, he never, um, I don't think, identifies as his struggles as depression, but they resonated so much with mine. Um, mm. Just the, his insecurities and his, his deep emotional pain yeah. Uh, so he he wrote about that, and um, his writing really helped me walk through my own experience. And what was what? How did you kind of create your way out of this period? You know, because you you talk about um, the readings, you know, the people that you who became companions to you. How? What kind of, I guess, what kind of, what kind of um, practices and routines did you discover to 
help bring you out of or manage at least your depression yeah well it was a long process I'd say I was badly depressed for a couple of years and then it was sort of a really gradual easing out of that um I wasn't able to work for a while I was also um I've had migraines my whole life and they got worse during that time period so everything just sort of came together um and I was working for, um, I had just gotten a job at an evangelical organization, mm. the parachurch organization. And so um, that was, it felt great. It felt like, you know, finally I was, I had a job in my field. I have a master of divinity and I was excited about it. Um, but that also proved to be kind of uh, a stressor and not the great, the greatest fit. Um, so to, to answer your question, it took a lot of um, self-examination to really figure out what was going on. And um, one, of, one of the tools I used was the Enneagram. Hmm. I had friends at the time that introduced me to the Enneagram, um, and I figured out that I was an Enneagram 4. And so to me, reading about Enneagram 4s just sort of tore away all the disguise and got right to the root of, like, this is these are the unhealthy patterns that you've been stuck in. Um, and it was really good at, at showing me those, but at the time it wasn't super helpful in giving me next steps to sort of, how do I get out of that, those patterns? Mm. Um, but it, it helped identify them. Uh, and then another tool that was really helpful was contemplative prayer, which a friend also introduced me to. Um, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with contemplative prayer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've done a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's been helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's praying without words, basically. It's sort of the opposite of the evangelical idea of just telling God everything that's on your mind and asking for things. And um, you just sit quietly and you could use a prayer word to help you get into that meditative state. Um, but then you just you just are quiet. So that was really helpful to me as well. It's really interesting that we find different things that which which help us each because each of us are different. And you're right. I mean, the enneagram. Right. Yeah, the enneagram is. I mean, that's really good for getting to know who you are. And for me, it's been helpful in getting to know what things help me and what things don't is that is that your experience as well um i think eventually the enneagram helped me figure that out but at at the time it was just sort of like oh this is where i'm stuck shit you know (laughs) (laughs) don't know if i could swear on your podcast yeah you can yeah (laughs) we're quite honest and raw here it's fine (laughs) I'd be curious to hear hear the ways that um, it helped you. Well, the Enneagram? Yeah. Well, it, wow, I'm being interviewed on my own podcast again. <laughs> this <laughs> this keeps happening. Um, <laughs> um, well, okay, the Enneagram... The Enneagram, for me, well, when I found out I was... A, you see, I did the test, and I got, I got the same score for four and five. Mm. And then the third highest score was for three... I think. And so I thought I was a five at first. Mm. And 
you know, quite because I've, I've got like an academic background. You know, went to university and always kind of quite good at academic-y kind of stuff and right. you know studied politics and was interested in, in theology and all of those kind of academic-y kind of things that I thought well, that's okay well, that makes sense for me and then I started to think about it and the other side of myself and talk about it with actually with you um I think I remember we had a conversation on Twitter about it uh, about right, five or six years ago yeah I remember yeah you and um, Nish and you were like, James, you're a fool. You're like, you're definitely a fool. There's no question. Like, <laughs> you just are a fool. You know, and when I started, I kind of, and I, st- I stepped back and I just looked at myself and reflected on myself and looked at what a fool was like. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I'm a fool. So that helped me come to terms with why I react certain ways, why I behave certain ways, why... Certain things bother me. Um, right. Not in terms of making excuses for behaviour, but in terms of just, okay, I can have a bit of grace with myself here because this is just how my brain works, how, I, how my personality works, um, and how I operate. I can, I can have grace with myself and I can come up with ways of living which make me healthy, but which... Uh, which can allow for those things, you know. The the same. I mean, fours like distinguishing feelings from facts is a four thing. Like I didn't get I mean, getting them confused. I mean, that's what I mean. Um, it's such a big. And when I saw that, that was a big thing for me. Like, oh, because I do that all the time. You know, and I, I, I well, certainly used to do it even more than I do now. That you that is just how it was, when someone asked me how I was or something, it was, or why I was upset by something or my opinions about something and it was always I, I feel I feel I feel like mm. rather than looking at the facts you know and once I learned how to examine facts before list before reacting to feelings I was able to manage myself better and that came from knowing I was a four with a five right. wing you know so I have a five wing which is useful because because it means I can go to the facts <laughs> you know yeah. um and I can examine the facts. It's like, it's like having a split personality almost. It's like I have one side of me which is all feelings and emotions and likes to live in the existential angst of things. And then another pers- another side of me which kind of detaches away from that completely and, uh, and analyses all the facts and everything. And it's quite rational. <laughs> it's kind right. of it's kind of balancing the two, which is difficult. <laughs> yeah. Is that your... I mean, yeah. you're, you're a four... What, what, what wing are you? Yeah, also a five wing. So is that your experience as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think I think it's really interesting how they um, balance each other, but also inform each other. Mm. Like the, my housemate, my good friend, is a five, and I'm always telling him like feelings are data. They're they're telling you something about yourself. So it's because he wants to just dismiss feelings and focus on the facts, you know. And I'm like, yes, I also value facts and truth and you know but you Mm. have to you have to look at the big picture you don't just get facts from your brain you also get them from your emotions and your intuition and you know your body reads the environment and tells you things about what's going on absolutely yeah and getting that balance is a 
is I think is a key for being a healthy four wing five. Yeah. For sure. And fours are more prone to kind of to being just kind of staying in their negative emotions mm. as well. It's kind of they almost we almost kind of enjoy it. <laughs> like, you know, right. living in the um I always call it the existential angst. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, that gif of Doctor Who standing in the rain kind of thing <laughs> that everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's like that's like the four that's like the four gif, that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that doctor was definitely a four. Um <laughs> four wing five. But um that's probably why yeah. I like him. <laughs> David Tennant. But um but yeah, you know, and it does be gone. Oh, I was gonna say it's interesting that um, you talk about feelings because I, I still haven't really been able to articulate this well, but I tried to articulate it in my book a little bit. That I think for me, I grew up um, associating my negative feelings with sin, and so mm. I would. Um, you know, I would go, we went to the kinds of churches where you prayed like a prayer of repentance every week. And so we would pray, you know, God forgive me for everything that I've done or left undone, something like that. And I couldn't really figure it as a child, I couldn't really figure out what that meant. Like, okay, um, there were obvious things that I had done wrong. Like I shouldn't have hit my little brother, probably, <laughs> or, you know, things like that. But overall, I don't, you know, from my perspective now, I don't think little kids sin in that way. Or, you know, I don't, I don't, they're just learning and growing. And um, I work as a nanny in my other job. And it's, they don't do bad things because they're bad. They're just like learning about themselves and how their actions affect others. And um, so, in my mind as a child, I was trying to figure out, you know, well, what does it mean to sin and repent? And I had all these really strong feelings. And so somehow it got, it's hard to explain, but somehow it got tangled up for me, um, seeing those feelings as sin. And so that was one thing that I had to um, untangle during that really bad Mm. depression and to figure out, you know, actually feelings are just feelings. They're not good or bad. They're just what you feel about situation and to learn how to just let the feelings be and let, and accept, you know, okay, I'm sad right now. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with anyone else. That's just how I feel. And then allow the feelings to pass through me without sort of getting stuck and creating more negative energy. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you you touch on the feelings and faith. You know, I think it sounds like that your story is similar to a lot of people's stories. Is that you that you were told when we're growing up that don't listen to your desires, don't listen to your mm. feelings, just listen to God's truth. <laughs> you know the bible or what god is calling you to do all these those kind of cliches that come out when you're growing up in kind of traditional christianity or evangelical christianity yeah um how did how did you kind of 
how did this journey kind of impact your relationship with with God and, and you know, your spiritual journey? That's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mentioned I, I had sort of reached peak evangelicalness at the time I write about in my book. I, I had graduated from Gordon-Conwell Seminary with an MDiv. I was working for an evangelical organization, um, and I think it just had never really been a good fit for me. I think a lot of what you were just talking about was true. And, you know, I was more of a creative type and more of an intuitive type. And now I look back and I'm like, why wasn't I trying to write then? Or, you know, why wasn't I in the arts? (laughs) What was I doing majoring in theology and doctrine and, you know, getting into a field that uh, it was all about evangelizing people uh so but I think it I wasn't the right fit but I but I just kept doing it anyway I mean I was 32 at the time and um you know I've been in that world for over a decade so I think the depression was kind of a gift in that in that it you know I wasn't able to do that anymore I wasn't able to try to fit myself in that mold anymore Hmm. so everything kind of fell apart but if I could have I would have like um one of the things that happened when the depression got bad was I lost my ability to pray in the way that I used to pray it used to um be prayer used to be just this really powerful time of connecting with God I would pray either in my head or write out long letters to God in my journal and um start every day that way Uh, but then when the depression came it just it felt like nothingness it felt like sand the food the things that I used to put in my mouth that were nourishing felt like I was just putting sand in my mouth wow and so it was pretty devastating um but I think if that hadn't happened I wouldn't have been pushed to find deeper ways to connect with God and more and ways to connect with God that are more authentic as to who God created me to be and the languages that God created me to speak. Yeah. Yeah, that's been that's I've talked to a lot of people about this kind of journey on the podcast mm-hmm. and and my own journey as well. It, it's it really seems like when you go through some kind of trauma um, what, you know, it it kind of take if you if you allow it to, it can take you deeper with God, and into yourself. Um, but you have to allow it to, <laughs> yeah. um, and not hide, not run away from it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and at the time I was um, my. A couple of times in my 20s, I had moved back in with my parents for a little while Mm. when, you know, things got too overwhelming or um, looking back when I was in a depressive episode, but not really identifying it as that. Um, But when I was 32, my parents moved into a um, retirement community. It was like a a house, but it was on on land that was 55 and over. And so they weren't allowed to have guests there for more than two weeks I think you could get special permissions for a month and so that 
that option was just off the table and it was like I had nowhere to nowhere else to go so I had to stick it out where I was which is very um Mm. very hard but it was another one of the the things that forced me to really work through things and ultimately brought me to a better place yeah it's it's tough work when you go to that that place it's really tough work yeah um the long night is a great a great description really it's it's Mm. you know because it is a it's a long it's a long night um yeah and nights are nights are not bad no we have one every day and it's good it's a time of rest it's you know a time to let go but when it starts lasting longer and longer and you don't know when it's going to end yeah scary yeah that's right that's the uncertainty of not knowing when it's going to end is yeah it's really scary um yeah, yeah that's that's when despair can kind of kick in and then did you did you ever get to that that, that kind of point yeah i i it really was um i mean i the kind of depression that i had was very is a very anxious kind of depression mm. so i think a lot of people um when they're depressed i have a good friend when he's depressed he's just like sleeping basically or he's awake but he's sort of comatose Mm. but to me that sounds almost relaxing (laughs) because when I'm depressed it's just like I feel this incredible pain emotional pain that feels as real as if you know the only way I could think to describe it at the time was if my husband had cheated on me just that horrible pain but for no obvious reason but I can't just rest. It's also just this anxiety and what do I do? I can't, I need to do something about this. I need to fix the situation. So I was always kind of trying to figure out what could I do and and talking my friends ears off, (laughs) trying to get them to help me, but they didn't know how to help. So it it was a time when I felt very alone and it lasted a long time. So it was really hard. And um, what was what was the kind of beginning of coming out of that period? Um, uh, well, it was you know this was my experience. I don't prescribe it to everyone. But <laughs> what happened yeah. was I I um, had to quit my job, and it it ended under really hard, bad, dramatic circumstances. Um, and it and it was really hard for me to admit defeat because it just sort of felt like the, everything in my life had been leading up to this wonderful job and now I can't do it and you know what's wrong with me and but once I quit once I finally just pulled the plug on that and said I can't do it you know and then um, the depression didn't get better right away but I think a lot of the pressure was off and so then I had a time of um several months where I was just resting and I was you know the depression was still very bad but I wasn't trying to also work a full-time job during it so Mm. I 
would just lie in bed and I, I ate a lot. I watched a lot of Netflix. Actually, at the time, I think it was Hulu. <laughs> I played a lot of video games and just, you know, I felt like my body had finally said, look, you just need rest. And so I was finally able to rest. And then after several months of that, I found a um, very part-time nanny job and started doing that. And then after that job ended, I found a, another nanny job that was a few more hours. So it was just sort of a gradual, like, hmm. my mood was, was stabilizing, my energy was returning. Um, you know, the pressure was off, and I had done all that work on myself to understand myself and yeah. understand people around me. So it was a very slow, slow thing, though. Yeah, it can be um, sometimes. And when you're carrying around all of that pain and that emotion, it can be hard. It can take a while to get rid of, <laughs> and, and to, to for it to kind of just release itself from your body. Yeah. Um, really, you know, it's 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 yeah. You know, like I said, it's it's work. You know, it's um, yeah. I mean, that, that really resonates. What you were saying really resonates. You know, there is an element of just taking time for yourself and just, like, what's really important, you know, your own health or um, going, going to a job every day which wears you down and, and you're exhausted before you even get home and just burns you out. You know, it's... Right. You know, it's taking care of yourself. And as you say, we're not recommending you go and quit your job. <laughs> Um, but it's just, yeah, and all of not everyone does. Yeah, but but just I think like what I'm hearing you say here is is take care of yourself. Do what's needed to take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, and look at um, look at the things you're feeling shame around. You know, the, the expectations you have of yourself that cause you to feel shame about it. Um, and and see, ask you know what if I what if I was able to let go of that shame, and just you know live live. I don't even know how to how to finish that, but <laughs> live without without feeling bad about the things that I'm not able to do, but focus on the things mm. that I can do. And I was I was a really good nanny. I had um, that had been my part-time job all through college and grad school and everything um so thankfully you know once I was feeling a little bit better I was able to start working as a nanny again and then able to start writing more and start a blog um that turned into other writing opportunities and then write a book yeah it's amazing isn't it how that journey unfolds um how how has writing been part of the healing process? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I think, um, well, for me, just writing in general has been really healing and not specifically needing to write about like conflicts or you know specific 
situations that I was working through, but just writing, just sort of getting back to that. What now, now I see it as my calling is just to observe the world around me and to write about it, you know, write what I see, write what I hear, what I smell, taste, and touch, and how, how my own self, my unique self, interprets that. And so just that, just that act of being creative, I think, was very healing. Hmm. Um, but then, you know, specifically, like, writing about conflicts or, you know, there, with that job that I was in or with the community that I was living in, at the time, there were just a lot of difficult relationships and difficult situations. And so um, sometimes I think I would feel like, well, I need to write to be true and authentic, but, um, you know, what I would write about is these relationships, and that's not really fair, especially as, you know, my audience, my followers on my blog and on social media began to grow. It's not really fair, I thought, to tell my side of the story online, you know, <laughs> because other people don't have a blog necessarily. And um, so it's it, that was that took a lot of and takes, I think, a lot of discernment, you know, what to share and what not to share. And of yeah. course, you know, the whole the whole idea um, it's attributed to Nadia Boltz Weber. Um, but I think I, I've seen her say that she didn't originate the idea, but the idea of writing from your scar and not your wound. Yeah. So that you're, you're not just leaving all over your readers, but you're, you're helping them to think, you're helping them to understand the, the deeper meaning and what happened to you. That's also a universal meaning. I absolutely, I love that from Nadia Bellsweber. Um, I've heard that heard her say that before. Very powerful. Don't write from your wound. Write from your scar. Yeah, that's yeah. that's so true. Because when we write from scars, we're just <laughs> like you say. It's just it's just going to go everywhere, and people are going to get hurt. You know, as collateral damage um, because we're not quite in control of it. Um, right. And. You could, yeah. You could spray everywhere. You know, the blood could spray everywhere. Whereas, if you're writing from a scar, you can, you've got the reminder of what's happened in the memory, and you've also got, and you can still gently feel the pain sometimes if you touch it a little bit. But you've got enough distance from it to understand it and to reflect on it as well. And right, yeah, yeah. And um, Glennon Doyle, I, I can't remember where she, she was talking about this recently. I think it was on an Instagram live, but she was saying, you know, she doesn't write things until she can think about how um, it's true for everyone, not just true for herself. So to find, not just say this is my story, this is what, ha is what happened to me, but find something in it that is a universal experience and to find some way of looking at it that will be helpful to us all and not just, you know, gossip or, you know, mm. look, you know, intrigue about this person's life. <laughs> because we're all, we're all so unique and have our own ways of, of understanding the world and, and processing things, but also we're all human 
And so we're all, we're all having similar experiences in this world, you know, Hmm. I think one thing that depression does is it makes you feel so isolated. It makes you feel like no one could understand you and no one, no one else has these crazy thoughts or, you know, these mean thoughts or, you know, no one else has just this unpleasantness that's going on in your brain. Um, Hmm. So I think one of the gifts of writing for people who struggle with mental illness is that they can bring that into the open and say, you know, you're not alone. Everyone has a weird brain inside of their head, you know? Yeah. There's there's a, a connection. We have this connection to each other because of that. Absolutely. Yeah. We all have stories to tell. We all have our own unique stories to tell. And... Yeah. There's a lot of freedom and healing in telling our stories. Um, in whatever context we tell them, whether that's just in a twelve step group or a little little group community or whether that's uh on a blog or in a book. Um right. or on a podcast. You know, it's it, it, telling our stories is a really powerful thing to do and it's and it's not easy to do. Yeah, I know you've had um, Laura Perry on your. Podcast. I have, yes, a couple she, of times. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She founded the. She and her cousin Mary founded the group Say It Survivor. Yeah. To help um, people, survivors of uh, childhood sexual abuse, to tell their stories. Yeah, yeah, I love I love Laura's work and I love that Say It Survivor. It's fantastic. It, she's she's definitely one of the uh, one of my inspirations in terms of storytelling and telling stories about our telling our own stories um yeah yeah um she does it and she tells her with such courage every day um so um if you're listening laura we love you, <laughs> uh, we love you <laughs> um and have to get laura back on the show sometime soon as well that reminds me yeah. <laughs> um yeah. I can't wait for her book, her second book that she's working on. I know, I know. I keep seeing little glimpses on Instagram of her writing it. Um, yeah. I would also everyone recommend, as well as Jessica, Jennifer's book, um, uh, Jessica's book, I would recommend uh, uh, Laura's book as well. Uh, she wrote it down. That's another great one. Um, yeah, same. Um, yeah, she's a mutual friend of ours, so we're... We're a little biased, but with good reason. <laughs> um, completely objective. Yeah, absolutely objective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of what? So, just what did you, what did you learn by about yourself by writing the book, and what what did that process do to you? I mean, your book. I'm mean, talking about now. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um. Well, just sort of from a writing perspective, I'd, I'd written essays a lot when I started writing this book, but I'd never written a whole book. So it was interesting learning how to make the chapters relate to each other and flow into each other. My first drafts, I repeated myself a lot. And so my editor was like, well, you already explained this here. 
Um, so it's hard. It's hard to sort of get a visual of the book too. I, a lot of a, a few times along the way, I printed it out and lay it, lay the chapters on the floor, so I could sort of have a visual idea of how the book was going. Um, mm. But in terms of sort of the the emotional and spiritual way that it changed me, I think I was nervous going into it because um, I had been, I, and I wouldn't say I'm better. Like I still, I, I'm still someone who struggles with depression. Um, mm. And I think there's, uh, there's different kinds of depression. There's like um, the stymic depression, which is sort of a mild, but everyday kind of depression. Mm. And then there's major, major depression. And so I tend to go from like, one to the other. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, um, but I hadn't been, when I started writing this book, I hadn't had a major depressive episode in a while. And so I was kind of nervous to, to, to dwell so much on it again, to sort of, you know, go back and think about how hard that was. Um, but it, it ended up, I think because I waited a while, um, because I was writing, you know, from the scar instead of the wound. Um, and I did a lot of work, uh, a lot of internal work in the meantime to heal, like, relationships and things um, that had suffered from the depression. Uh, it ended up actually being easier than I thought to write about um, that hard time. Hmm. So, but it was still, it's still kind of... Like, I think scientists tell us that we don't really remember pain accurately. Mm. Like, because if we did, like, no one would ever have a second child. <laughs> it would have been fully, you know, remembered every day the pain of childbirth. And I think the same is true of emotional pain. Like, I could tell you objectively now that was the some of the worst emotional pain that I've ever experienced. But I'm not really remembering it. I'm not, you know, experiencing mm. it right now. Yeah. Um, so, but I wanted to be accurate. <laughs> I just woke up Siri on my phone. I wonder what I said. Um, but I wanted to be accurate um, in what I was describing, as accurate as possible. So I had to sort of, like, go back in my journal entries and go back in emails that friends and I were writing to each other during that time almost like a detective and to find like oh okay this is how I described it then I remember feeling that way mm. and to use you know images and metaphors from that from my old self to write yeah you know? fantastic so great it really is I'm so excited about this book Thanks. You've been such a such an encouragement to me, James. Yeah. Well, thank you. That means a lot. That means a lot to me. It's. Um, I'm glad. I'm really glad. Yes. Uh, well, I've, I've wanted to. Been excited for you to write a book for a long time. So it's good to finally have it actually happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's what's one thing you'd like people to leave today with and to and your big like your big hope for the book. Yeah. Well, um the artist who designed the book, uh Olga Gerlich, 
She actually, um, I'm holding it up, but obviously you can't, <laughs> the listeners can't see. She plucked this phrase um, that's in, there, there's, the cover of the book is like a night sky with a lot of stars and there's a moon on it. Hmm. And she took this phrase um, out of my book proposal, actually, before I had even written the book um, and put it in the moon. So there's little words in the moon that say, you are not alone and this will not last forever. And I was so happy when I saw the book cover because that's it. That's exactly why I wrote the book. I want people to know that they're not alone in what they're going through and that there's it will end. Like there's when you're stuck in depression, you just feel so isolated and you feel so timeless. Like mm. every day runs into the next. You don't see any way out. Um, so. And I've been, I've actually been tweeting that phrase uh, since the pandemic started. You are not alone and this will not last forever. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's kind of, that's what we need to hear. Like we need, we need uh, to be connected to each other and we need hope. And, um, you know, I'm not saying... I'm not saying this will not last forever as, you know, oh, everything's going to be great one day, whether, you know, in the context of depression or in the context of the pandemic. But what I mean when I say that is it won't always be just like this, like this extreme pain that you're feeling right now or this, you know, whatever you're going through will pass and that there will be joy in the future and peace in the future and also other hard times in the future, but you're not stuck in the moment. You know, you're not the this will pass and and the next moment will pass and you have to wait for it. But you'll get there. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to end the um to end the episode. Um so thank Thanks. you, Jessica. Um and yeah. thanks for having me it's been really good to talk to you yeah it's always a joy it's always a joy um and everyone pick up the book on any way you get your books the long night uh by Jessica Kantoritz and it's out well by the time this goes out it will be out uh, and you can find Jessica on social media everywhere um, as well, um, I think it's JF Kantrowitz. I think is that right? Uh, yeah. JF Kantrowitz on Twitter and Jessica Kantrowitz on Instagram and Facebook. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for listening and uh, go and get this book and um, take care of yourselves. <laughs>